a CNN cameraman sent in a request to charter a plane in order to get pictures of an active, ongoing forest fire. With his request approved, the cameraman quickly used his cell phone to call the local airport to charter a flight. He was told a twin-engine plane would be waiting for him there at the airport. Arriving at the airfield, he spotted a plane warming up outside a hangar. So he jumped in with his bag, slammed the door shut, and shouted, Let's go! The pilot taxied out, swung the plane into the wind, and took off. Once in the air, the cameraman instructed the pilot, Fly over the valley, make some low passes so I can get shots of the fires on the hillside. Why? asked the pilot. Because I'm a cameraman for CNN, he responded, and I need to get some close-ups. The pilot was strangely silent for a moment. Finally, he stammered, So what you're telling me is you're not my flight instructor? Identity is important. Identity is important. We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks, and we're wrapping it up today called Identity Theft, where we've been unpacking and looking at this idea of who you are, who God has made you to be, and, and why getting that, those things lined up in your mind, getting a clear sense of who you are and who God's made you to be, is so, so, so important. Identity is is huge in our lives. We've been looking at a passage of scripture in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is the words of Jesus. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. It's our enemy, the enemy of our soul. He wants to steal from you, to kill you and destroy you, even at the level of your identity. Jesus said, my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. The enemy wants to steal your identity, wants to distort your identity, destroy you, because if he can thwart your identity, he can abort your destiny. Who you are is the foundation of your future, your identity. Who you are, understanding and having the answer to that question is everything that will set you up either for success in your future or for failure. Until you know who you are, really are, right? Get that question answered, you're going to have trouble because of the, who we are is the foundation of our future. In this, in this study for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'll read it again today. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Put your hand on your chest and say, I'm a masterpiece. Come on, I'm a masterpiece. Wives, don't look at your husband and say, no, you're not. You're overweight and you have a hairy chest. No, you're a masterpiece. Hun, the Bible says it, so it's true. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We've been looking at how identity, understanding that you were created by God, you are not the result of time plus slime plus chance, you are not a random happenstance biological accident. You are here because the creator of heaven and earth purposed to bring you into existence. It's an amazing reality, an amazing reality. And it changes everything when you connect with this thought that I am the masterpiece. I was made good. I was made right. I made, God made me on purpose and he made me for purpose. When we get identity, then we move on to destiny. Created anew in Christ so we could do the good things that God made us to do so we could understand and realize the potential of our destiny. And that's what we're here to talk about this morning. And I want to uh, talk this morning about a concept, the concept of a name. I want to read a quote by a man named Jason Dole. And it's not a Dole quote. Well, not to me, at least. Maybe I'll let you be the judge of that. But his name is Jason Dole, unfortunately named, I would say. But he's talking about the concept of a name. And I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, A New Name in the Nick of Time. A new name in the nick of time. This is what Jason Dole has to say about the concept of name. He says, 
Typically, we use names as mere designators to distinguish one person from another. They do not have much significance to us. And any meaning attached to that name is either unknown to the bearer of the name or the bearer is not concerned with such trivialities. In the West, we name our children particular names because the name sounds nice or because the name holds certain sentimental value to us. This is why Bethany and I decided to name our children Moonbeam, Flower Child, and, uh, no, I'm just kidding, and Love is the Answer. No, <laughs> they're awesome. that's not their names. But they hold certain sentimental value to us. But this is not the way they viewed or used names in the East. Easterners attach a much greater significance to names. To the Hebrews in the biblical culture, a name was not a label or a tool to distinguish one person from another. A person's name was viewed as, listen to this, equivalent to the person themselves. A person's name signified their personhood, their worth, their character, their reputation, their authority, their will, and their ownership. And so as we talk about name today and how God wants to give us a new name, give us a good name, and I'll talk about this, what we mean by this is this. Our name is equivalent to our identity. Our name is the the sum total of who we are. Now, we kind of understand this concept when it comes comes to a name because we always want to be associated with a good name. So people will say things like, hey, I did the Ancestry.com research, and actually my great-great-great-great-grandfather on my mother's side, twice removed, minus one cousin, plus an uncle, maybe they had a kid, we don't know, but I'm related to George Washington, right? People, they say, hey, did you know that, that I'm the, uh, the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of uh, the King of England? And you're like, I can tell, you have big ears. Um, just, that, was, that was good, okay. Sorry if you have big ears, I kind of got big ears too, but we, we want to be associated with a good name, right? With a good family. It kind of, it, it somehow kind of elevates us, this, this past connecting. Nobody wants to be associated with a bad name, though. Nobody goes on and they're like, guess what? Uh, I'm the great-great-grandson of Adolf Hitler. You cover that up, right? Because that brings shame. Because you don't want to be associated with a bad name. People don't say, hey, guess what? My uncle's Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, Really? Had any weird cravings lately? <laughs> uh, those, some of you will get blessed by that joke later. You'll, it'll hit you. And no, you don't want to associate with notorious criminals and, and horrible people, right? You want to associate with famous people and people that have done great things. And this idea of a name, it connects you with your past. It connects you with kind of this broader sense of even your identity having a good name. But sadly for many people, They've experienced sorrow or abuse or even their own personal shortcomings, flaws that have led to to large failures. And what has happened is now they wear a name that is negative. They, They wear a name that has a stigma attached. They wear a name that has left a mark upon their life. And again, we're not talking about a name that's just a label. We're talking about something that actually is the true representation of who you are. In the biblical times, in this ancient culture, it was an honor-based culture and your name was everything. person would rather have a good name and and, uh, if they were to have a bad name, they would rather die. Like literally, I mean, you hear about ancient Japan and there was the the whole practice, somebody that knows about this stuff. Help me out, Rachel. What's that called? Harry Carey Seppuku. Thank you. It's so nice having an expert right here on the front row. You know, they want, but if you were dishonored and that was a dishonor to your family or dishonored to your name, you would rather die. This is the same kind of a culture that, that if your name was marked with these kinds of things, it was a horrible tragedy. I want to tell you a story about this, though. 
A family that we see in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 35, verse 16, we'll read about the family of Jacob. Uh, and the family of Jacob was, when you read their story, it almost comes across like a Shakespearean tragedy. So many awful things happen. So many bad things happen. And it really marks the family. It marks their name. But there, this is a particularly tragic incident that takes place in Genesis 35. Let's read in, in verse 16. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. And it says her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. It's a, it's a great thing. Have another son. But Rachel was about to die. And so with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now this is just a very small window into this young man's life, right at the very beginning. And it's very understandable for his mom. I don't want to cast any judgment upon Rachel because she's gone through childbirth, which I've heard is what it's like for a man to have a cold. Uh, sorry, ladies, there's popcorn flying at me. I, no fruit, please. I'm just kidding. But, but she's going through labor, which is intense, which is hard and difficult and painful. Uh, I, I don't know from experience, but I've heard. And, and not only does she go through this labor, but it results in her death. She's bleeding or whatever's happening, and, and it's, it's tragic. And so in her last breath, she associates what's happening to her, and she puts it upon this young man, upon her son. I don't think she did this because she doesn't love him. I think it was basically almost an automatic response. This is the son of my sorrow. It's her last breath. She's literally dying to bring him into life. And so she's sad because she's now going to lose all the days ahead with her son, lose all the days ahead with her husband. And so she says about Benjamin, he's the son of my sorrow, Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. Now, remember that this name is not just a distinguishing uh, label so people will know, hey, there's Ben-Oni. No, this is something that will mark this young man. He will be known as a bringer of sorrow, bringer of shame, a bringer of pain. That that is his destiny. That is the, where he comes from and that's where he's going. If you were to associate with him, you would have to be signing up for sorrow. Be like if somebody's first name was bad and their last name was time. You know, hey, this is bad time, right? You're going to hang out with this. A lot of people think that's my name. You hang out and it's not fun. It's bad. Son of sorrow. But his father, his father said, hang on. I'm not going to get involved in my grief for my wife. I'm not going to get involved in the tragedy that's undertaken our family. I'm going to intercede. And instead of him being called son of sorrow, he will be called son of my right hand, which means place of authority, place in the family. His father gave him a new name in the nick of time. And he changed at that moment in an act of changing his identity, he changed his destiny. He changed everything for Benjamin so that Benjamin wouldn't be son of sorrow. He'd be the son of my right hand, brought into the family, place of authority, place of, of success. Now, I don't know where you come from, but I know for in a room this size, this many people, that there have been situations, perhaps of your own doing, but perhaps from outside of your control, that have tremendously marked you, and that you sit here today and you wear a name. And perhaps for you, that name is not son of my right hand, it is son of sorrow or daughter of sorrow, that you wear a name that your life has been marked. And it's, it's not just, again, a label, but it literally it describes you. It, it doesn't just 
inform people who you are. It informs how you see yourself and it informs what you do. It's become part of your identity. You wear a name that is not good. A name that is associated with failure. A name that is associated with sorrow. A name that is associated with pain. But I'm so happy to tell you today that God, your Father in heaven, can do what this earthly father did thousands of years ago and intercede and say, what has taken place in your past will not define your future. What name you have been given because of your pain, because of sorrow, because of abuse, because even of sin, I will cover that name, I will get rid of that name, and I will give you a new name that will bring you into who you are, really are. God wants to give you a new name today. But it starts for us with recognizing where we, we come from. It starts with recognizing the name that we wear, the name that is upon our life. Are you named like Benjamin from, from a place of sorrow? Sorrowful things that happen in your life or your family's life. Are you named because of pain? Are you named because of sin? You see, a lot of people, they, they wear the name of their failure. They wear the name of their sin. Now, sin is a biblical term. In the Bible, it comes from this Greek word hamartia, which is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. So sometimes we say sin, we, and people think oh, it means like adultery or murder or, or you know, being like Hitler. But the reality is sin just means you don't live up to God's standard. You've missed the mark. And according to that definition, we are all sinners. Come on, somebody. Like if you're like, hey, I don't got any issues, this is not the church for you because we all have issues here. So, right, I mean, I got issues. Well, you're the pastor. Believe me, I got stuff that God wants to deal with. And he's merciful to keep working with me. Come on. But we all have stuff. Sin is to miss the mark. And some of us wear, maybe even to a greater degree than others, we wear the name of our sin, of our failure. We wear that, that name because of the mistakes that we've made. Maybe you're called slut. That woke everybody up. Maybe you're called whore. Maybe you're called addict. Maybe you're called drunk. Maybe you're called loser. Maybe you're called cheater. Maybe you're called liar. Maybe you're called thief. And maybe you earned that name. Just like I earned my name. You see, every one of us has a name upon our life as a result of what we've done. And sometimes we wear the name of our failure and everyone around us can see it. And we're marked by that name but I'm here to tell you today that God can do something about that. God can intercede. He can change your name. He can change your story because he alone, the creator that made you, he, he made you all things brand new. He can make all things new again. The creator that formed you with his hands and poured identity into you and shaped you and shaped your destiny, he can wipe away that stain, that name, that mark and give you a new name. We'll talk about that. But you know, you can't hide your name. I think a lot of times we come to church, we put on our nice clothes and we, we come in and we're like, I'm good, everything's good. No, it's not. We all have stuff. And everybody else knows generally what your stuff is, even if you think you're hiding it really well. Right? Like just ask somebody's kids or ask somebody's wife, you know, their, their husband, what their stuff is and you'll get an honest, you know, you'll get it, the answer because we can't hide our name. Let me tell you a story about a guy. I love this guy. I feel just so, I feel simpatico with this guy. There was a man named Wayne Black in England, and uh, this happened a long time ago, but I'm Wayne Black. The words were tattooed across the forehead of Wayne Black, a suspected thief in Lincoln, England. When confronted by police, he insisted he was not Wayne Black. 
And yet the words, I'm Wayne Black, were tattooed on his forehead. No, I'm Blaine Whack. No, Wayne, we know who you are. <laughs> Isn't that a picture of us sometimes? Hey, you're the cheater. You're the liar. You're, the, you're the, the loose, immoral woman or the loose, immoral man. You say, no, I'm not. Hey, it's written on your forehead. That name, it, it's on you. We see it. You see it. You know that it's there. You can't hide. Let me tell you a story that took place in the time of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And then it says in verse 37, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. When a certain immoral woman, now this is the first century equivalent of saying when the town slut came to dinner. Think about this. Even Luke, who's writing this years later, this eyewitness account, they, they all knew who she was. Oh yeah, that's this lady. She's the, the certain immoral woman. They knew her name. She was named for her sin. That's how she was identified. Maybe you're here today and people know you as the drunk. People know you as the cheater. People know you as the liar. And you wear, like Wayne Black, it's tattooed on your forehead. And so every time you look in the mirror, even if it's not physically written there, it's there. It's in your eyes. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. And you don't like that name that you wear. But you say, well, it's my name. I earned it. I did these things. It's true. And you're in that place. This is what this woman was at. She was a certain immoral woman named for her sin. And it says in verse 38, then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. You got to understand this is, an, this is an ancient Eastern Oriental culture here. Jesus is not sitting at a table with his knees under the table. He's sitting down at a low table, maybe even just plates on a rug and his feet are out behind him. So she's not even seeing his face. He's sitting at the, at, down here and she comes behind him and she begins to cry. It says, she was weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Let's all give Captain Obvious a round of applause. We'll slow clap him. Yeah. No, does she's a sinner. She's a certain immoral woman. In fact, probably some of the guys at that table know better than some of the other ones who she really is. You know, if you're the kind of person that's always really excited to call other people out for their name, maybe you should take a, a second and look in the mirror. You know, I think for a lot of people, maybe you came to church today and you were worried that you were going to be judged. I'm very sorry that if that ever happened to you, and I pray that does not happen to you here and I hope that any person that would want to call out, hey, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and this is your name, and this is what you've done, would just take one second and look in the mirror and realize that every one of us wears a name. And Jesus lays the smack down, as Jesus always does. And in verse 30, it says, Then Jesus answered his thoughts, which is a superpower. Jesus is a superhero. Come on. Jesus is like, I'm not even, you, I'm going to answer your thoughts. You said a bunch of crap, but I'm going to answer what you think. And Jesus is going to do something pretty awesome right here. Pardon my French. I said the C-R-A-P word. Okay. He says, I, Simon, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. 
Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, now I want you to catch this right here. He turned to the woman. So Jesus is down on his knees. He turns around and he looks at her. So he's making eye contact with her, but he's speaking, directing his thoughts towards Simon. He said, look at this woman kneeling here, but Jesus is looking at her right now. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with the kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. You see, Jesus doesn't deny the name that you wear. He knows who you are. He knows every rotten part of your life, every rotten thing that you or I have ever done. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Come on, that's powerful. That Jesus looks her in the eye and he directs his voice. He's talking to Simon. Simon, you think you love me a lot. Simon, you think that, that, that you're pretty good. You think that you don't have a name upon your life. Simon, you think that, that you owe me a small debt. See, even what Jesus is doing here, it's, it's actually a little bit sarcastic and ironic. Nobody owes a small debt. Everybody owes a large debt. But Simon thinks, I don't owe that much. I'm pretty good. I'm, a ba I'm basically a good person. Basically a good person means you've missed the mark. Basically a good person means you've fallen short of God's standard. And so you have to join everybody else in the club of sinners. There, there, there aren't any platforms at the foot of the cross, my friends. No, nobody gets to stand on, like, I'm the silver medal winner here. It's just one flat field, and all of us come to that place of the cross. And here's the beautiful thing. Well, I've really sinned a lot. Oh, I've just been a rotten, wretched sinner. I'm like this woman. And so, you know, I just don't, I, I don't earn, I don't deserve it. All of us are in that place. And there's a place for you at the foot of the cross to receive mercy and grace from Jesus, to receive a new name, a brand new name. He looked at her and he said, look, everybody here knows that you're an immoral woman, but that's not who you are. I know who the real you is. You're forgiven. You are forgiven. Now, let me just point theologically something out really quick here. Jesus has not died on the cross yet, right? Everybody like, yep, okay, because the so what is, what is happening here is actually a claim to divinity because when you forgive sins, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that keeps tabs. I'm God. Therefore, I can forgive sins. So this is actually even a powerful statement of the divinity of Jesus that's taking place here. And he forgives her sins. He says, I'm the one that gave you. I know your real name and I'm going to give it back to you. I know that you've messed up. I know that you've sinned. I know that you're known as a certain immoral woman, that you wear the name of your, your sin, but that's not your real name. I'm here to tell you right now that Jesus is the one that can look you in the eyes. And even with other people sitting around you, maybe potentially judging you or looking down upon you, that the one whose opinion matters is looking at you and saying, I know your real name. And I'm going to put it back on you. Come on, somebody. Do you know that God wants to put his name on a bunch of people who don't deserve it? Isn't that amazing? That God wants you to wear his name. We're going to talk about this more, but I'll move on in the message today. 
It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. God has a new name for you. If you've been named because of sin, I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to give you a brand new name and wash away the mark of sin. Wash that away and put his name upon your life. Some people here today, maybe, maybe you're not named for your failure. Maybe for you, you're named because of pain, because of trauma, because of abuse. Maybe like, like ben, ben, Benjamin, who was called Ben, ben uh, Ani, he was marked by something in that moment that he didn't cause. It wasn't his fault. He didn't choose to be born, right? Maybe for you, you were born into a family and, and you brought, because you were born, it brought economic hardship to your family. And so you felt that. Growing up, maybe a father or a mother rejected you. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were mistreated, but there has been pain. And so you wear the name of pain upon your life. I'm here to tell you today that God wants to heal your heart and God wants to wipe away that mark. And any kind of discouragement or dissatisfaction or disillusionment or disappointment that, that you have inside of you or that you feel you've caused, God wants to take that away and say, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, and you're somebody to me. You matter to me. God wants to wipe away that, that mark of pain. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Gary Matzdorf came and he shared with us, I, I wasn't here, but I listened to the message and it was phenomenal, about the story of Mephibosheth, whose name means from the mouth of shame. And Mephibosheth was dropped by a woman that loved him, who was carrying him through the palace, trying to escape and save his life, he was dropped and he became crippled as, at the age of five. And that pain that, that, that he went through, not even because somebody meant to hurt him, but he just, it happened to him, that pain marked him for his life. Maybe you're here today and there's, there's something in your life that's crippled, something that's broken, something that's wrong, and it's not even your fault. And you're like, I didn't, why did he abuse me? Why did that person touch me when I was a kid? Why did this happen to me? Why did my mom not love me? What's wrong with me? And you've worn this name of pain upon your life. The only person that can change your heart is the one that made you because God knows your real name and he wants to give it back to you. And he wants to take away that, that sting, that ache, that your identity will not be wrapped up in that you were abused. Bethany and I watched a documentary on Netflix called The Keepers, and I, I don't recommend it. It's pretty raw. Um, man, it wrecked me. It's about a sexual abuse that took place. Young girls at a, a Catholic high school, and they were abused by a person in a position of authority, and it, it, it just it wrecked me to realize that people have gone through things that are not their fault. They didn't initiate it. They didn't cause it. I know there's people even in this room that you've been abused. Someone hurt you. Someone took advantage of you. Maybe even in a relationship, whatever it was, and you wear that name and God wants to give you a new name today. God wants to transform you so that when you walk out of here, you don't wear the name of pain. You wear the name of Jesus Christ and you walk tall because you are a son of God. You are not damaged goods. You are, you are a masterpiece that you walk out of this place and you realize I'm a daughter of the king. And all of a sudden, the men that, that, you used, to inter, that used to entertain their, uh, their you know, thinking they could be a suitor, you just go, oh, uh-uh, sir. Sorry, I'm upgraded now. Maybe I would have gone out with you on Saturday night, but Sunday night, 
I'm looking for somebody better. I'm looking for like a Judah, a man of God. Come on. Man, a lot of the ladies are feeling the anointing up in here today. Woo! Hallelujah. I'm looking for a Jake Elkins. I'm looking for a man of God. I would have gone out with uh, Kyle on Saturday night. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. I love Kyle. He's a man of God. Come on. God wants to change your name. God wants to heal you and restore you to a name that is not marked by pain. As we finish up today, let me read some verses and just encourage your faith. Jesus came to give us a new name. It says in Revelation 3, verse 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Jesus wants to put his name upon your life. I think this is beautiful. You know, when, when you get married, when I married Bethany, uh, she, she felt a little bit downgraded because she went from being a Douglas to a Schmelzer. You know, it was like, I lost a cool last name and got a weird one, but hey, you know, we're married. So anyways, my wife became a Schmelzer. And what does that represent? It, it says, she's now with me and I'm with her. All right? We now identify together. You see, a lot of times we think that becoming a Christian is about us identifying with God, but it's not. It's about God identifying himself with us. See, when the enemy comes and says, well, did you know that, that, that she's a slut? Did, did you know that he's a drunk? Did you know that, that, that he's a cheater? He lied. God says, oh yeah, you're right, but he's mine. She's mine. So get out of here. You see, becoming a Christian is not so much about you joining God. It's about God joining you. The gospel is not that man elevated himself. It's that man could not elevate himself. And so God de-elevated. God came down. And in Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis, the emptying, Jesus humbled himself. Though he was at the right hand of the Father, he emptied himself of his divine attributes. And he came down and he served and he slaved and he got down in the dirt and he identified himself with you and with me. And he said, these are my people. And that's why when the enemy comes and says, well, they wear the name of sin. He says, no, they don't. Look at the name that's now written on them. See, it used to say slut. It used to say whore. It used to say cheater. It used to say drunk. But now it says paid in full. Now it says son of God. Now it says daughter of God. Jesus wants to write his name. I'm going to fall down. He wants to write his name upon your life today. Come on, somebody. Somebody's going to walk out of here with a brand new name today. Somebody's going to walk out of here in pain and shame that you've held on to for years is going to fall away as you connect with the gospel. God wants to write a new name on your life. I wish I was passionate about it, but I'm not. He said in Isaiah 56, 5, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. See, nobody can come and say, well, you know, you, you made another mistake. Yeah, yeah, you belong to God, but now you messed up again, so now you're out. No, no, no. When he puts his name on your life, he's the one holding on to you. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the Lord will give. In Christ, your name is beloved, accepted, received, adopted. Your name is treasured. It's perfect. Romans 8.15, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received 
God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, which means daddy, daddy father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. God has come in this moment to give you a new name, a good name, the name of son, the name of daughter, so that you can call him daddy. And God wants to heal you in the area of your identity so that he can set you loose in the area of your destiny. You see, right now in the seat, you might be sitting broken. You might be sitting with the name of shame and the name of sin and God's doing some healing, but it's not just gonna stay there because see, when you get healed, when God's working in your life, even as you're being healed, you're gonna do amazing stuff. You're gonna do incredible stuff because you're gonna go to other broken people and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about where I came from. Let me tell you about the name that I wore on my life since I was a small child, but I'm different now because I know him and because he knows me and he's accepted me and he'll do the same for you. Come on, God wants to set you loose in your destiny, but it starts with getting connected in your identity. I'm gonna end with this story. Setting out from Hamburg, Germany one day to give a concert in London, famous violinist Fritz Kreisler had an hour before his boat sailed. So he wandered into a music shop where the proprietor asked if he might look at the violin that Chrysler was holding. The shop owner then vanished and returned with two policemen, one of whom told the violinist, you are under arrest. What for? asked Chrysler. You have Fritz Chrysler's violin. I am Fritz Chrysler, protested the musician. You can't pull that on us. Come along to the station. As Chrysler's boat was sailing soon, there was no time for prolonged explanations. Chrysler asked for his violin and he played a piece he was well known for. Now are you satisfied, he asked. The policeman let the musician go because he had done what only Fritz Chrysler could do. Did you know that when you know who you are, you will do what only you can do, what only God, what God has given you to do? And other people will say, Now I see your name, your real name, because only you could do this. Because only you in the identity that God made you to walk in could accomplish what you have accomplished. When you connect with who you are in God, you will do what only you can do. And the world needs you. This world needs every one of these people. Our city needs every one of us to know who we are in God and to do what he made us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago amen this morning I know there are people here that have come in to church and you're looking for hope you're looking for answers and I don't have time to answer all your questions in this moment but I but you know that there's a place of brokenness in your life and that you need this name that I've been talking about today You need a new name in the nick of time because you don't want to live one more day with the mark of sin, with the mark of shame, with the mark of pain, the mark of abuse. You don't want to walk out of this place broken. You want to get healed. And God can do that for you in a moment, right in this place. The gospel, as I've been talking about today, is not that we do something to get to God. It's that God did something to get to us. That Jesus died on the cross and gave his life laid it down to pay for our sins so that we could stand before God, perfected, sins paid for, bill paid in full, and come into relationship with him. And if you want that today, all you have to do is put your trust in in him. 
Just believe that Jesus did that for you. Receive it for yourself. There's no magic words. There's no magic prayer. I'll pray a prayer with you just to, to seal it, to signify it. But there's nothing that, that I do that makes you a Christian. It's your faith and your trust in Jesus.